It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of A Terrace Extra. I am Craig Fowler and we're continuing with our season previews. This time it's a double header. It's Hibs and Livingston. The two Edinburgh-ish clubs, the rivals. <laughs> the big derby this season outside uh, the old Ford game. It's the one they're all talking about. That might actually be true. They're just sort of thought about it. There's no Dundee derby. There's no Highland derby in the top flight. There's no... Aberdeen don't have a rival, really. Um, is, is this it? Is this, is this the second biggest game? Livingston Hibs. <laughs> I'll be honest, it's a bold kind of uh, marketing campaign, but I don't think you're going to get the people on board with it. <laughs> No, I don't think either fans care enough that much to to even kind of class it as a derby. There's not really enough history, is there, uh, with both teams? Anyway, for, for those of you who <laughs> do, do Livingston have a lot of history with any teams? Well, that's <laughs> true, actually. That's very true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah they're, only, they're only, what, 10 years younger than me or <laughs> something. Yeah. I don't think Meadowbank Thistle or Ferrante Thistle like them much, but uh, that's a that's no. a whole different thing. Yeah, and if you hadn't figured that already, it's Alan Temple. Hello, Alan. Oh, yeah, sorry. That was woefully unprofessional. Yes, lovely to be here. Thanks. <laughs> no problem. But we're going to talk about two teams today because you cover both Hibs and Livingston for the Capital City Press. And I just thought it'd uh, be kind of good to, to shoot the shit on, on both both of the clubs ahead of the new campaign. So we'll start with Hibs. So to get, let's get the boring stuff out of the way, first of all. Yeah, a lot of talk this summer. Over you know finances, well, there's been a lot of talk anyway throughout the kind of league. But uh, Hibs have uh, attracted, let's say, more headlines than most. With uh, first the decision to defer payments, and then the decision to, to cut wages and, and cut staff. Uh, what's your take on just the whole thing in general? Oh, a nice easy one there to start <laughs> off. What's your take on the entire financial collapse of a football club? No, I, I, I get I get where you're coming from. It's a funny one, isn't it? Because Hibs did seem to be gaining a lot of plaudits, a lot of credit for the way they were handling things. And yeah, it did seem to then go the other way rather swiftly. I mean, the one thing that I think is key um, in terms of the, uh, the, the attitude around the club is they've got an extremely strong dressing room there. There's a real core uh, of... 
experienced players, your David Gray's, Darren McGregor's, Paul Hanlon, dressing room leaders who I think have helped, uh, you know, ease the pain of some of these uh, deferrals and uh, financial issues. And uh, that's why you don't get quite so many damaging leaks. You see, the, the, I mean, the coverage of football clubs can so often be a case of perception. It's so often a case of uh, what are the people, uh, whoever they may be, leaking to certain people? What, how are they portraying the story? And uh, I think for a, lot, for a long while uh, at Hibs, and even now, I think you don't get too many complaints coming from that dressing room. I don't think the way they've handled it has been perfect. I think it's... Uh, it's jolted from um, we're not going to do this to actually yes we are going to <laughs> we're, we're now going to take more severe cuts but who did know the way this was going to progress who knew how long it was going to go on for Hibbs's arc has kind of followed that of Aberdeen where they initially didn't want to do anything too severe and then they've realised that this is unmanageable so uh, I mean, the wider issue is perhaps then, I guess, <laughs> you're such a catch-all initial question that I guess included within that question <laughs> would be obviously the signings that they've made and the optics of paying six figures for a striker. But again, you need to balance this off against yes. it. It's horrible that, horrible that people are losing their jobs and will do once this redundancy process is finished, no doubt. However they still need to be a functioning football team. That is literally what their business is. And there will be certain people within that business that are more indispensable than, than others. And sadly, um, for some, a, a, you know, a £250,000 striker that might score you 20 goals this season is more important than, than certain other people who lose their job. It's distasteful, but sadly, it's a, a you know, horrible decision that to be made right now. I think you're spot on there. I think that uh, you, you said the optics aren't good, and I think that sometimes gets a lot overblown. Ultimately, regardless of whether you're a youth coach or whether you sell fucking pies or, or whatever you do, ultimately, you're there, basically. to Your job is to kind of... It's all towards working the goal of the first team being good. That's really it. That's at the end of the day. Yeah. That's how football clubs measure any sort of success, really. Is, is, is the first team any good? Uh, and ultimately, money is going to be kept aside to make sure that that's the most important thing in the club. And it's reflected in that in terms of, well, if we have to cut things, are we going to cut you know, youth coaches and you know, non-player personnel? Or are we going to make ourselves weaker on the park and make sure all these people have jobs? Um, I mean, you you could take that route, but with literally every other club kind of not going that way, it's a it's a difficult position to take, and it also doesn't help. If I mean, we only have to look across the side to see how quickly things could go wrong if you're not either a member of Celtic or Rangers, and that there's no guarantees that Hibs will always be a, a top flight club. And if if the team gets weakened uh, because of this, and say they don't sign anybody, say they don't sign anybody, they sell one or two players, and then that kind of balances everything, and that's fine. And then Hibs really struggle next season and are actually getting sucked in a relegation battle. It sounds unlikely, but like I say, happened to Hearts last season. There's no guarantees. Then you go down. Then you know people lose their jobs anyway. And it sounds it's like you say, like you said, it's a horrible thing to say because you shouldn't be looking at it and say, well, this job is more important than that job. But a football club. The most important thing is the first team. And unfortunately, when times are tight, every football club does it. It's, 
It's, it always looks weird. We always scratch our heads when it happens and say, well, how, wait, hang, hang, hang on, how can you get rid of all these people earning X amount to, and you've got this guy earning this much? But every club does it. Every single club does it. And Hibs are no exception. Uh, what I would say is I just thought it was quite funny that they, they got all the plaudits and then all of a sudden, oh, look, he's a bad guy as well. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I think it was just because, uh, yeah, I think it's because hearts received. Uh, you know what it's like in Edinburgh. You know even better than me. You've lived here your whole life. But it's uh, everything that one side of Edinburgh does is measured against the other side of Edinburgh. So because Hearts were the first to put in uh, cuts in place and by all accounts and Budge was what could best be described as forthright in the yes. way she went about it, that received so much criticism, so much widespread criticism and people losing the rag because there hadn't been that precedent of, listen, every club's going to do some form of this down the line, that then... When Hibs made their own very, uh, you know, necessary cuts, again, albeit distasteful, you know what it's like? All of a sudden, every Hearts fan is going, oh, look, you're at it now. You're no so holier than now, are you? When really, both clubs have, albeit gone about it in slightly different ways, both clubs have just done what is necessary. Neither uh, neither was a a, a disastrous uh, action at, at the time, but because one side got a lot of stick, when the other side does something similar, they get a lot of stick back, and it's all about oh, it's a different tone now, and uh, it's just uh, yeah, it's like like we alluded to earlier. So much of it is uh, the the perception, and the one thing I would say about, as I say, you know, about Hibs's cuts and about the things coming from Hibs is, I think. Uh, without casting any sort of aspersions on the Hearts dressing room at all, I think Hibs have do have a better core of players who have been on board throughout this process and willing to do whatever was necessary. Um, and I think that, uh, that you know that I think that comes from a few of the boys in that dressing room. That I mean, you're you're just you're going to do what Darren McGregor tells you. Let's be honest. You could have just finished at core. Hibs have a better core. <laughs> <laughs> that's it that just stops yeah. up everything to do with both clubs I think at the moment right so let's move on to an easier question for you how would you assess how would you assess Jack Ross first half season at the club hmm far from flawless you know I think he came in and it was funny when he came in because he although there was an immediate upturn in results he stuck pretty much with the same shape and the same largely the same personnel as Paul Heckingbottom but he just managed to get a tune from them but there's no getting away from the fact that results weren't fantastic um, well they were inconsistent I should say and fundamentally <laughs> although they lost a place due to the way uh, a vote went it will go down as a bottom six finish which granted is not the relegation battle that uh, Paul Heckenbottom was threatening to drag the club into. However, it wasn't the comfortable top six finish that looked like for a while. There was, you know, there was murmurings of we could challenge for Europe, we could do this, we could do that, and that fell away um, towards that final push. But listen, it's a Scottish Cup semi-final. It was top six, but for a vote going against them, which lost them a place in the Premiership. It's uh, it's a solid. Uh, C plus B minus I would suggest um, it was a definite improvement on Paul Heckenbottom but Paul Heckenbottom's hibs towards the, the end of his reign were 
uh, you know, a basket case in terms of losing stupid goals and things. And, and I think uh, it will be really interesting to see what Jack can do over the course of an entire season because I think much of last season can perhaps be defined as simply fixing issues of the previous manager and kind of reverting to the mean. I was going to say that there was, uh, there was I think the main thing he done compared to Heckerbottom was he simplified everything for the players because I think that was, that was kind of what was spoken about afterwards, that the problem with Heckerbottom was that he was maybe too analytical and he gave the players too much to think about on the park so that they couldn't really do their jobs. They couldn't really play with any sort of freedom. Uh, and that's maybe why they actually, maybe one of the better games that they played was at home at Celtic, where you kind of need to kind of let the shackles off because you can't really control that game. You need to kind of be in your face. And again, I don't think it was much surprise that that was Josh Vela's best game for Hibs because uh, he was uh, somebody who did struggle mightily in the centre of the park and looked nothing like the player they did at, at Bolton. And I think Ross did get a tune-up with them that way, but as you kind of alluded to, the squad had major problems with it, uh, even even accounting for some of the Heckerbottom guys who eventually kind of did come good, and that Adam Jackson eventually looked all right. Uh, Joe Newell started to, to play, having looked pretty horrendous under Heckerbottom. Dodge famously started scoring all the time when he couldn't hit a cow's arse with a banjo whilst playing under the manager that signed them. Uh, so, but there were still there were still issues with the rest of the team. There was, you know, a lack of options up front behind the kind of the main strikers, the kind of main first team guys. All these shocking and regressed, so there wasn't really a, a third option. The defence, the fact that the, the 2016 cup final defence, all of them in their thirties. Uh, played so many times uh, again that didn't really bode well Marciano kind of took a step back so that didn't really help as well so there was a, there was a few things to fix and that's uh, probably where the signings come in so the signings they made three signings so far the, this summer uh, they've signed Dre Wright from St. Johnson Alex Gogic from Hamilton Ackes and spent money on Kevin Nisbet from Dunfermline now I I'll get kind of give my opinion on this soon. Well, it depends on which way you go. I might just take the opposite one because I think all three of these signings have 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 the capability to be all three of them brilliant and all three of them duds. So, what's your take of them before I get to mine? Fantastic. Um, I might just take the opinion that makes you argue for the opposite one. <laughs> um, You're just going to say I think they're all shite. <laughs> um, okay, I'll go from. Uh, kind of the one I'm most impressed with which is Alex Gogic um, I, th- I think it's ludicrous it's taken Hibs in fact I'll start off with it was ludicrous that Hibs found themselves in a position without a destroying midfielder Yes, I think it was ludicrous that it took them so long to replace the two that they let go in Milligan and Bartley and better late than never basically they've managed this was not a you know, recruitment's always difficult, but but this was not a difficult game. Whether it's Alex Gogic or whether it's someone else they went and got, this was glaringly obvious from the moment Marvin Bartley cleared out his locker that they needed this. Um, I remember sitting at a Paul Heckenbottom press conference when he uttered the words, I don't believe in defensive midfielders. <laughs> As if they were the Easter Bunny. It's... <laughs> And his team, I mean, I'm doing him a disservice. He obviously means that he thinks his midfield should be able to do everything. However, yeah, I don't know who he thinks he's managing. Yeah, um, it also doesn't explain why he continued to pick Stevie Mallon for literally every single minute of every game. Yeah, well, he, and Stevie he, Mallon he, could do some things, but he can't do everything in the midfield. Yeah, well, I mean, defend he thinks, being one of them. 
Yeah, he signed Josh Vela and it seemed to come as news to Josh Vela that he was supposed to be a defensive midfielder, um, which was uh, an alarming oversight. But nevertheless, Jack, he clearly, he kind of half fixed that in January in the sense that between Doherty and Omionga, you've got enough energy and enough kind of fill in the gaps that you can get away with it. Even then, there was times where he had to turn to Stephen Whitaker for a deep-lying, put-your-foot-on-the-ball midfielder. Now, Gogic, by all accounts, speaking to a few guys at Hibs, he has really, really won everyone over, not only with his technical ability, which I think is, I, I feel like I don't need to go over his physicality and his tackling. Everybody knows that. I'm sure you've touched on it in the podcast and in the, in the main feed, but it's, uh, you know, he's won people over with his technical ability. He's played for, you know, he came through at Swansea. The boy can play football. He's uh, kind of the, one of these quiet, but quietly command respect types. And I just think he is everything that team's needing tactically. And I think he'll fit in really well behind the scenes. Um, I mean, are you wanting to go for the he's awful argument now, or do you want me to go on to <laughs> go, my go, go, give, give us your uh, takes on Dre Wright in this bit first, and then I'll, then, um, I'll, then I'll just slam into them all. <laughs> my, my, this could go either way, one is Nisbet. Uh, yeah. First of all, because he is carrying a rucksack worth of a price tag on his back, which is never easy for anyone. Um, I've watched, I watched him a lot of Wraith Rovers, and I thought when Dun, Dunfermline signed him, I thought, he was a good finisher, you know. He was he was fine. He linked up well with you know Buchanan. I'd, you know he was he was all right. I'll see how he does it. And he stepped up levels that I didn't think he had. So all the credit in the world for that. He became better at holding the ball up. He became better at running the channels. He was fitter. He was stronger. He's you know he embraced that challenge, and yeah, reached levels that I didn't think he necessarily had. Certainly not this quickly uh, when I watched him at Wraith Rovers. Now he basically needs to do that again. Um, and he's come back and again he looks like he's worked his balls off in the last kind of few months he's desperate to do well the guy was devastated in January when uh, the move to Tibbs initially fell through Um, he really thought that was in the bag Um, so it's a man that's you know he's very motivated but all I would say about that is it's been such a steady incline from the moment where he was released by Partick Thistle and by his own admission the penny dropped from walking in on trial at Wraith Rovers, from that point onwards, you've got an, a meteoric incline. He's never went through a dry spell. He's never had a break in this momentum that he has right now. So my only curiosity is what happens when he doesn't get picked for a few games because Dodge ahead of him. What happens when he has his first little run uh, You know, over the last 18 months uh, where he's basically... Uh, doesn't score for, say, nine games, doesn't score for ten games, and the fans, when they are allowed in the stadium, get on his back. Not easy being a striker at Hibs. He's never experienced that. As the biggest club in terms of their league positioning at the time he was on the books was Partick Thistle. So I, I would like to see the boy do well because he's a, he is a, you know, even from watching him at Wraith Rovers in League One, to see his progress in such a short period of time is, you know, it's been quite heartening to see. But at the same time, uh, I, I think it would be easy to sit here and say, "Oh, it'll be brilliant. He's the goals they need. He's this. He's that." I'm kind of reluctant to pile too much pressure on him because, uh, you know, this is this is a big old step up. Yeah, uh, that's you pretty much nailed uh, any doubts I have about this. But I'd, 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 again, I was very impressed with him. Uh, I didn't see a lot of him at Wraith, but uh, Dunfermline in the Championship, I thought he looked excellent. And certainly not somebody that I would 
look at and say he's going to struggle with a step up. I think he has the fact that you talked about the fact that he got you know better at Lincoln, play better running the channels. He's a kind of big, strong boy anyway. He can finish, so he's got kind of all the tools to to impress at the top flight. It's just the fact that he's done done it in League One next season, done it in the Championship. Can he do it a third season in the Premiership? That's something that doesn't really happen an awful lot because it is it is a significant step up. So it's going to be hard for him to kind of replicate that. Even if he gets a dozen goals next season, it's maybe looked upon as a bit of a disappointment considering his price tag, but that would be a good first season for him at Hibs. Just to kind of get to the top flight, get his feet in, uh, get used to kind of the new surroundings, uh, the new challenge, and to give himself a kind of platform to then move up from there. One thing that I would say will go in his favour is uh, all indications are that Jack wants to play him and Deutsch as a strike partnership. Now, it would be tough if you were going to say, listen, there's a 250 grand price tag on your head, now go and lead the line on your own. As a, you know, a lot of managers will play now a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3 where you've got one focal point striker. Kevin, at least he's up front with Christian Deutsch, a player who's been through all the peaks and troughs you like and a player that will hold the ball in a very unselfish striker in yeah terms of I was actually going to say that I think, I think a lot of people will look at Deutsch's goal tally and think that he's a, he's a goal scoring forward himself and therefore Nisbet might struggle to, to link up a partnership with him Christian Deutsch actually does a, a lot of good work uh, for the yeah. team it's something 100%. that it's something that I was actually quite impressed by Deutsch because I, I looked at videos of him before he arrived and I didn't really see much in him but then when he when he first arrived and Hibs fans thought he was shit I suddenly flipped and thought actually I think he's actually okay because he, he's his movement's good, his link-up play with teammates is good, he can hold the ball up, like you say, selfless kind of player. And I think he could do well with, with Nisbet, because Nisbet is the one that's got a bit more kind of mobility about him, as you say, somebody who could kind of drift out wide a lot more, kind of pull defenders away. And I think they do have the makings of a strong partnership. Yeah, not to get too money ball about it, but I mean, Christian Deutsch, all the stats told you he was playing well when he was going through that spell where he couldn't score a goal. They just weren't dropping for him. But in terms of, you know, key passes made, in terms of, you know, his link-up play, in terms of every measurable uh, factor other than his goal column, he was playing well. So that will be, you know, if he can continue to do that, then I think he'll... I think the way that they want to play will give Kevin Nesbitt the best possible chance to succeed. Um, which is is all that which is all you want, but I just you know I'm just anticipating this. It's going to be because of the price tag. I've seen it a million times. Whether he's good at the start or whether he's bad at the start is going to get magnified times a thousand. He's going to be he's going to be get him in the Scotland team, and it's going to be what a dud. I can't believe we spent this much money, and I just I'm just kind of. Although I'm excited to see which way it goes, just sort of appeal for some degree of of, of calm because it's been a hell of an 18 months. But. You're not going to get that. Not going to get that. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Because, because I'll, probably be, I'll probably be one writing half of the overreaction as well. <laughs> 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 Absolute hypocrisy right here. <laughs> right, uh, the final player is, of course, Dre Wright from St. Johnson. What's your, yeah. what's your thoughts on that, Siren? That's an interesting one because Martin Boyle is still at the club. I thought it was an uninspiring signing. Um, I think at a time where, at a time where you really want players, you know, we run in smaller squads. You want players who are reliably fit, can play numerous positions, can uh, contribute, you know, uh, measurable numbers, and you know, uh, whatever they they might be needed. It's a player with 
minuscule amount of assists and goals, a yeah. serious injury, uh, hasn't played too much consistent football. If you're going to be running, say, a, a kind of 20-man squad plus youngsters this season due to financial restraints, then... I just I thought you would you would want a guy who could you could guarantee you know thirty five games from um, again he's been getting rave reviews in preseason so he's obviously determined to to prove people wrong um, he's got the move that he wanted um, again just to to go back to that shape at the moment it seems like uh, Jack's leaning towards a three five two for opening day um, Dre Wright has played wing-back um, at times during pre-season. And if you were going to um, put your money somewhere, then I don't think it would be the, the daftest money to put Andre Wright playing wing-back against Kilmarnock on Saturday. Um, uh, David Gray and Paul McGinn, who would obviously be your normal choices for the right side of the defence, have both played right-sided centre-half in a three. Um, and Jack loves Paul McGinn. Um, absolutely, uh, you know, loves his intelligence, his awareness, loves the way that he talks to others on the pitch. So, yeah, I, I, it's uh, it would be an interesting one. I've 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 never watched Dre Wright as a wing back. I've 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 not seen. I think he's a talented player. He's an exciting player. That's as a tricky winger, you know. And but his numbers would suggest the final product wasn't always there. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that and is, I've never seen him play as a wing back, so uh, it's just so hard to make a judgment. I think I've seen him play once as a wing back. I think he's got the tools to do because he's a very kind of direct runner as well. He's very quick. He, he works hard, uh, and he does a lot of things in the game right. I think that's why a lot of uh, St. Johnson fans really took to him is that he really ever has a bad game. He, he doesn't make daft errors. He, like I say, he, he gets he puts in a real shift, and he's because he's pace as well. You kind of drawn to him. The, the lack of end product is a worry and that would probably be magnified a uh, kind of more high-profile club uh, as Hibs. So that's where he could struggle. I, I actually see this working out better if he is signed to play as a wing-back rather than a player further forward because as a wing-back, his onus isn't really so much uh, to, to score goals or to provide assists. Yeah. You know, you're, you're doing a lot more work than that. And if he is... If he is fit, and I mean, he had that bad injury, but he came back towards the end of the last season and, and looked kind of like he was getting back to his kind of former self. But I do, like I say, I do wonder where this leaves. Was he signed? So if, if Ross is a 3-5-2 in mind, was he signed then just to be a replacement for Martin Boyle? Do you think Martin Boyle's still going to be a Hibs player by the end of this window? Uh, I don't know. Um, I think that Hibs will be... Uh, I think both Hibs and Martin Boyle, whilst they're not about to say it publicly and drive down the price, would probably both see this summer as a peak point at which his reputation is perhaps at its high point and his value due to his contract situation is also at its highest before it starts to tick down and decline. So I think there would be a a willingness to, to cash in on, on Martin Boyle this this summer. Um we've also got the you know the financial issues which are, are there and plain to see. Um I think Hibs would hold out for a good deal. They're not selling for peanuts, but I think they would be amenable to to getting something sorted. And like you say, pieces are being put in place there that let's not kid ourselves, Martin Boyle's best position isn't anywhere within a three five two. So if he's uh, you know, if he's lining up, uh, if Jack's lining up like that, then 
it's maybe some sort of, you know, it's maybe a, a, a tacit admission that they're kind of positioning themselves to for a life after Martin Boyle, although it has to be said that he has had a run out at right wing back and up front during pre-season. So not suggesting he's been shunted out the door, but uh, perhaps it's the it's the pessimist in me in terms of I just yeah I, I could see I could see Martin leaving if there's concrete interest from England. I think you're gonna you're gonna get a lot of clubs, particularly in the English Championship, that are looking more and more towards the Scottish market up here. I know we're not selling players for peanuts anymore, but we are still seen as a good valued market. Mm-hmm. And I think with the financial constraints that are also biting down there, I think you'll get a lot of clubs that will look up here at a player like Martin Boyle and say, Australian or nationalist, you know, he's been playing well in the Scottish top flight, could perhaps get him in for just north of a million. You know, that's that would be... Uh, I, I could just see a, a kind of... I mean, the transfer window lasts for so long that you might still get a good sort of fifth of a season out of him. Yeah, <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> that's the thing, you know. It's, that is, it's going to be such a strange elongated transfer window that you know you could almost cash in on players and still get a good 20% of a season out of them almost you know it's so no it'll be it'll be interesting but as I say I mean it's it's toss of a coin territory but if you're going to say yes or no I think I think I think him and Flo Camberry will both leave I'm getting further away from the subject of uh, putting the boot into Alex Gogic's signing but uh, just while we're on the on the topic of players leaving Florian Camberry yeah, I mean, I think uh, Jack Ross has already said he's played his last game for the club. Yeah, I, he's. I mean, it's just a case of getting somebody to. Hibs are not asking for the world. Hibs would uh, again. Uh, you know, this is you reading between the lines. This doesn't come from Leanne or anything, but this Hibs would take their money back for Flo Camberry at this stage. Uh, you know, the idea of cashing in on Flo Camberry is long gone. I think they would take just north of what they paid Grasshopper for him because I think. They they acknowledge that they got him for a steal from Grasshopper in terms of his his so if you can get two hundred grand two fifty for Flo Camberry then happy days they were willing I mean they were very willing to negotiate with Rangers uh, about about the loan deal that's you know about a new loan deal for this coming campaign it's you know they they really would like him out the door um, and. <laughs> It's, it was it was Flo Camberry that turned down um, that loan deal with, with Rangers. It was Flo and, and his people that decided they don't want another loan deal with Rangers. And I do wonder whether that's starting to, uh, you know, perhaps be a regret of theirs to, to play hardball because Rangers haven't come back with a, a permanent offer for them. I wonder if they've turned their attention elsewhere, especially if they're about to bank big bucks for Morelos. They're maybe going to turn elsewhere and his chance. Yeah, to yeah. To I don't think Rangers fans would be too happy of the long-term replacement for uh, <laughs> Alfredo Morelos. At least, at least in terms of the optics, right away, is yeah. to sign Flo Camberry. I would have thought if you're Flo Camberry, then you sign on loan with Rangers until January. Yeah. Try and try and impress, and then get your permanent move in January. Um, the, I mean, the, the whole the loan deal thing wouldn't have suited Hibs down to the ground. But if they'd got a wee loan fee for him, then that would vest it somewhat. Or, or if Greg Dockery was involved in the loan, yeah, uh, indeed. That's that's another interesting one. I think uh, I don't think Hibs will be in the market for too many new players, but it's not their deal to be done right now. He's not their player, and um, and Greg's gone back and trying to you know stake a claim at Rangers. But if there was to come a point down the line where Greg Docherty is available and is looking for another opportunity. I think Hibs will be on the phone 
Um, whether that's whether Flo Camberry is part of that, I, I'm I'm not sure. Um, but I, I I do wonder is thinking behind completely kiboshing uh, a chance to get back to back to Rangers because I think it would have it would have suited all parties. Okay, before I, I'm going to ask you next about which areas of the squad do you think still need uh, a bit of uh, addressing before the, the, well, not before the start of the new season because they've got very little time to do that, but, you know, over the next weeks and months. Uh, but just to, to finally see my point on Gogic, I do think Gogic will be, will be a good signing because he, I was a big fan of him at uh, Aki's and I think he deserves to make the step up. Uh, the only thing I would say, the only caveat, the only kind of warning I would give is that football is just not, not always that simple, that you take a, the best player from a, a kind of lesser club and you, you put them in a kind of a, a, a different team, a more high-profile team, a team that's expected to attack a bit more, and it doesn't always work out. And the fact that Gogic, when he played at Hamilton, so I just kind of, I'm seeing... A lot of parallels with Marvin Bartley, but kind of maybe in the opposite direction. So Bartley, Bartley probably shouldn't have been released considering Hibs weren't didn't have a defensive midfielder after that. But he didn't even when he played. He didn't have a good last season at Hibs, and I think he was helped by moving to Livingston, moving in a, a team with a different style, a team that are a bit more compact, that aren't necessarily you know expected to play attacking football on a big expansive pitch like Easter Road. And I think he was kind of, that helped Bartley's rebirth at Livingston, where he was one of the best signings of the season last year. Gogic was in a similar situation at Hamilton, a team that, uh, again, more of a compact pitch, more of a, a compact team, not expected to, to go at opponents, not expected to carry the ball as much. And I think it'll be interesting to see how he handles that kind of shift to a very different club. And it could go wrong. I don't necessarily think it will. But I, d- I just think that, like we've kind of talked about, I think there's there's ways that all three signings could be very good. Nisbet can, he's certainly got the potential to be good in the top flight. Dre Wright, especially if I think if he plays wing-back, I think he'd be a very solid signing. And Gogic is exactly the player they've missed last year. So they could all be great. But there is, there is as there is with any um, signing, uh, there's possible downsides to all three. I just think the possible downsides are actually quite clear in this case, uh, what could go wrong. So that I like was the, my... I like the I like the big they might be good or they might be bad verdict. That, that was a long way that was a long way around <laughs> to getting there. That was uh... <laughs> Alright, I'll stick my neck I'll stick my neck on the line. I think I think Wright will be good. I think Gogic will be good, not as good as maybe the hope. And I think that Nisbet might be a bit of a disappointment. So there we go. There's my prediction. I have to say, you kind of talked me into the right one with the, you know, with the, uh, the the wing back thing. Yeah. You know, you actually talked me into the fact that Dre Wright might be a decent signing as a wing back, whereas I, I was very underwhelmed with him as a winger. But I, you, know, yeah. you actually, you actually make sense if you if you play with wing backs, then you get creativity from your front two. You get creativity from being able to have a more advanced central midfielder of the three. You get yeah. creativity from elsewhere. So do you know what, you might have actually convinced me on right. <laughs> I'm just sorry. I'm just. I'm just seeing that. I, I know. I'm just. I'm. I'm just. Uh, I'm just now looking ahead to the, the the backlash when he turns out to be brilliant, and I've I've, I've slated him. Ugh. Right. So, where else does the squad need a bit of help? Is it just a simply a case of the defence because they're still a bit old, or have they done enough uh, to kind of with Jackson kind of coming through, McGinn being signed in January? Is is there enough pieces that the defence is no longer an issue? The defence is absolutely where I'm still worried about them. And I think the fact that, that Jack's gone for a, a kind of 3-5-2 or a 5-3-2, however you want to put it, structure, does smack of 
wanting more security. You know, it, it allows you more versatility elsewhere on the pitch, but I think it also gives you that benefit of security. And but I worry if you ask me, if you ask me before pre-season where the Hibs need to strengthen, and I know it's blasphemy, but left back, like uh, it was. Uh, Lou Stevenson did not have a good season last season. Um, I get that we kind of all shrug our shoulders and say, "Oh, he's a you know he's a regular six or a seven player." He wasn't. He was hitting fives last season, and because he is such a nice guy and a bona fide club legend, you don't like to see it. But it does. I fear we're getting to this point where tough decisions get have to be made on guys like Lou Stevenson if if you want a a bombing left sided wing back or defender and he's just not producing the goods then. However, he did have his injury problems at the start of last season, didn't get an uninterrupted preseason under his belt, which makes a big difference. Um there's you know, everyone seems happy with the numbers that he's posted when he's come back. He seems determined. He seems to realise that's the one thing you'll always get from Lewis. Even if he has the game of his life, he'll come in after the game and say, oh, I, I, was, I wasn't great. You know, that's just the kind of guy that he is. So if anyone realises that he was below par last season, it would have been him. But I find not only would that be a position that I would have thought that you could have potentially looked to upgrade, but it doesn't even seem like they're going to go for any depth in it. Um, Josh Doig has been... So impressive this preseason that I was just about uh, just about to ask about him because I think Hibs fans are expecting that he's going to play quite a big big part this season. Not necessarily taking over at left back, but maybe at least spotting uh, Stevenson quite a lot of the time. That does seem to be the case. Yeah, everything coming out of Hibs suggests that basically what Josh Doig has done is shave uh, an entire year off his development. The plan was, uh, having had a very good loan deal with uh, Queen's Park last season, the idea was to get him out on loan again this season, uh, potentially higher level, maybe in the championship, something like that, and get a, a full season under his belt. But he's come back in such great nick at pre-season and you know, hit the ground running that there seems to be a real willingness to say, fine, fight for the jersey, fight for the that left-sided slot, whether it's left-back or, or left-wing-back. His performance against Celtic um, in pre-season there, um, albeit in a 3-1 defeat, has well-taken goal, really technically adept, well-taken goal. And if you look at the position he's coming in from, you know that's a brave young player. He's getting into the box from the left-wing-back position. So that's a, you know, that's a player that's... Yeah, he's clearly, he's massively impressed the coaching staff. So, um, <laughs> yeah, to, to answer your question, I think I would have said before pre-season that the, the left side of defence needs strengthened or at least needs to be depth or at least needs to be a challenger for Lewis Stevenson. But maybe Hibs have found that uh, challenger for Lewis Stevenson in their own academy. I mean, let's be honest, he's seen off enough left-sided defenders during his, um, you know, 40 years in the Hibs team that um, maybe uh, yeah maybe it's going to take somebody from the, their own academy to, to knock them off his perch but it's and I think in terms of the ageing defence as well by all accounts Darren McGregor's come back and uh, to quote one person is playing every bounce game like it was the World Cup final so he's given Jack Ross a headache you've got you know if you can keep Ryan Porteous fit and not suspended. I was going to ask, is, is, is I think we're put to this season just to get through an entire campaign without missing large chunks of it? I think that would be a start. Yeah. It's, he's, uh, this is a big season for, for Portis because, you know, he came back last season and 
amid all the talk of, you know, I've learnt my lesson, I've matured, I'm, you know, I've, on my time out, I was watching videos and realised I can't be diving into challenges. He still was sent off, I think, twice in 16 appearances. You know yeah. what that's... Sent off uh, a ludicrous challenge away to Killy and then, yeah, the battering into Borna Barisic as well. Mm. So he needs to, yeah, he needs to stay fit, which is not something I'm not going to crucify the kid for, for you know, having yeah. an injury. That, that's that's whatever. But when he is in the team, then he just needs to. The thing that's frustrating is, I almost wonder if it's like a, a you know, a self fulfilling prophecy. He gets so much praise for being this tough tackling Mister Hibbs type that he kind of goes out there. And I don't know if he feels the need to live up to it or you know, live off that roar that he gets for barreling into a challenge, but. He doesn't need to play that player. You know, this no. old horrible, hoary old cliche of, oh, if you took that away from him, he wouldn't be the same player. You could take plenty of Ryan Porce's aggression away from him and he would be a better player. Just maybe, just 10%, dial it down, make slightly better decisions, stay on your feet. You know, you're, you're strong, you're fast across the ground. Yeah. You he's don't a, need to be diving into challenges. He's a more, I mean, if he was a clogger, then yeah. that's the only way he gets by, is to basically, to be that kind of, heart on the sleeve player that just thunders into challenge and the fans like and the best thing he's got hope for is an entire career of being that but he's yeah. a much more talented player than that he doesn't necessarily have to kick people to to stand out because he has so much other tools he's a good footballer he's, he's very quick for a centre half he's a big boy he's that's kind of he's a decent despite the fact he's still relatively and experienced, he's a decent defender as well. He's good position and good anticipation. He's got a lot of it, but two things, his temperament on the park and the fact that he keeps getting injured. Now, the, the, the second one for me is probably the biggest thing and something that can't really help. I mean, to be fair, maybe it would help if he'd stop thundering in as many challenges as possible, but um, Neil Lennon playing him while he was already injured and made the injury worse, it didn't help him, so that's hardly his fault. Uh, yeah, the, the injury last season, but if he can stay fit, then I would, even if he doesn't tone down some of his uh, kicking, then I'd, I'd still expect a good season from him. Before it's, we very, it's, very, it's very hard to just analyse that, that Hibs defence because they have got, they've got good centre-halves if they're fit. Porteous, McGregor, Hanlon, Jackson. You can get a good three from those. And even then, by all accounts, Paul McGinn and David Gray, he's quite keen on the idea of potentially playing one of those as a right-sided centre-half. So you've got you've got options there for the defence. It's just whether they're fit, whether they can stay uh, available. It's, it's very, very hard to analyse. But I would also say I want, I, would, I would want another central midfielder if I was a Hibs fan. And I think they will try and get Greg Dockery before this transfer window shuts. OK, before we move on to Livingston, just uh, what's your expectations for Hibs this season? What's your prediction? I think the... Uh, do you know what? You curse players for giving boring answers, and I was just about to see a really boring one there. Um, they've got to be targeting top six football. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the main thing is they just take it one game at a time. Um, no, surely, if Jack Ross wants to have doubters off his back, well, first of all, he's got to win the Scottish Cup semi final uh, because, regardless of what they do, well, unless they finish third in the league, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of fans pissed off if the Hearts win that game. And it's going to take a lot of people a lot of time to forgive him if that's the case. Uh, with the exception of that, though, I think to, to, to silence any doubt, I think they have to finish top four. And even then, it has to be behind Aberdeen. 
Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I, I don't think he'll be uh, annihilated if he doesn't finish top four. But he does need to be com- competitive towards yeah. the the top four. But I, it's a it's quite a, a tough league in the sense that Rangers and Celtic will obviously be your your top dogs. Aberdeen have managed to. I don't know if they'll, they'll shed Cosgrove before the start of the season, but they've managed to basically hold on to roughly the same team and add Johnny Hayes to it. So they become incredibly difficult to overhaul. I think if you just look 1-11, to 11, I think Motherwell have got a really handy side. You know, if you just look at their, their starting 11, their unit, their spine, I think, I think I think Motherwell are a handy side. And then from that point onwards, that's you've got four teams. All you would need is two teams to overachieve. And there's always, there's always one or two that, you know, overachieve. And then it becomes you know, we're just like, you know, let's just get in the top six. So I would just say that, you know, the first aim has to be to not underachieve the way that they did for much of last season and actually get in that, you know, make sure they're consistently at the top six. And then beyond that, you're looking for best of that. My prediction would be fighting for best of the rest behind Aberdeen along with Motherwell. Um, but um, as I say, there's, there's always dark horses for this mm-hmm. league. Not along with Livingston, a team that finished ahead of them last season. I, I, I'm a huge fan of Livingston. <laughs> I, I, I think I, I like I enjoy covering Livingston so much because they're so unfairly lambasted for for so many things. There, there's not a team that are where a narrative is so very set in that's so not inaccurate but so overblown. You know they are. And not only that, but you look at their, their kind of starting 11 this season and they've not lost much from last season. You know, they've managed, they've lost Stevie Lawless, an absolute assist machine. Now that's, that's, a, that's a blow. But beyond that, they've managed to get their number one goalkeeper back and, uh, and Robbie McCrory, Gary Holtz, told us the other week, he's basically come in, you know, you know seven foot tall. You know, it's not, you know, not literally, obviously. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite a gross spot for a guy in his early 20s. <laughs> no, he's, you know, but, you've, you know, he's come in and he just looks the number one goalkeeper. I mean, Gary found it hard to describe it, so I'm not going to describe it any better than him. But just the vibe he was giving off, it was, I did this for the, the second half of last season and I'm... I'm fine with it. Like I, I am made for this level. So he's coming in more confident. I think they've they've recruited really well. By all accounts, uh, Fitzwater looks the real deal. The the centre half that they've signed. Um, Alan Forrest is playing in an interesting wee pocket in preseason, just behind Dykes um, as a sort of you know, floating second striker role. I, you know, even guys like uh, Effie Ambrose as part of a back three with say. Uh, John Guthrie and you know whether it's Fitzwater or Kieran Brown like, this is you know it's a good team not only I think we're getting to the stage now where you're looking at that team and saying are you telling me 1-11 that's not a team that you would back for you know challenging for the top six I think that's maybe where the challenge comes this season from Liverpool uh, from Livingston uh, the challenge for them is perhaps that teams are actually going to start looking at them and saying right well uh, we're not going to underestimate them. We're not going to try and outplay them. We're going to actually treat them like we would treat an away to Motherwell or an away to Aberdeen, which perhaps will pose different challenges for them. Because I still, I still think last season there was an element of them being overlooked as as flashing the pan. I think that Livingston team can finish fourth of all if everything goes well this season. I think that's probably the fact. 
Fuck it. Actually, if everything goes well, they could finish third. Because, I mean, why am I anointing Aberdeen as third place? Fucking Aberdeen have been pretty shit the last couple of seasons to, to watch for the most part. So why, why can Livy know amass more points than them? Yeah, I mean, if everything breaks right for Livy, I think the, the, that team and just the fact that, I mean, we've, we've had a few of these clubs in the Scottish Premiership in the last few years, and Johnson being the, the most obvious example that continually be greater than the sum of their parts. But you actually look at the, as you kind of talked to me, you actually look at the parts of that Levy team. And there is a number of good players there. And they've got this ethos as well, this great squad ethos that helps them to be even better than they are. The big thing though, and where it could break really wrong, and if it does break wrong, it could end up falling away and finishing in like 10th. I don't think they're good. I don't think they're... Uh, could, I can't foresee a scenario where they're bad enough that they would get relegated or even finish in the bottom two. But if Lyndon Dykes goes and goes early in the season, then I think that would be a, a major blow for them because I just think he's arguably, towards his own team, with maybe the exception of Alfredo Morelos, he might just be the most important player in the division for me. Yeah, well, I mean, there's no getting around the fact that he is, I would say, Lyndon Dykes and Marvin Bartley are the sort of, you know, kind of stars within that team that everyone orbits around, if you like. It's in terms of the attacking unit, everything bounces off Lyndon Dykes. His energy, his physicality, his link-up play. I mean, we were talking, you know, we are talking earlier about players who have who have added things to their game and, and Kevin Nisbet. I mean, Lyndon Dykes was a flitting, inconsistent winger at Queen of the South and has become one of the most effective number nines in Scottish football, which is an astonishing rate of growth. Um, and yeah, yeah, he has become someone that can do a little bit of everything. I, I, don't, I think he's far from the finished product. I've watched plenty of Lyndon Dykes' performances where he's not been particularly great, he's not been particularly effective, but the one thing that you always get from him, and it's, uh, it's vital to what the, the, the work ethic that Gary Holt demands is, he's always a pest. He's just always an absolute nuisance. He's, I mean, the, the infamous you know, uh, Christopher Julian you know, saying he gave him a, a, a torrid time in it. It's not because Lyndon Dykes is a better player than the guys Christopher Julian was coming up against in the French League. It's because he's constantly there. He's constantly there and battering up against you and running the channels. And that's that's um, it feeds into the, everything else that they do. It feeds into the like the runs that revolve around them, the players. The rest of the squad know where he's going to be. They know when he's going to be running the channels. That so that that will be difficult to replace. But I would say the only solace that you would get if he does go, and just as part of my kind of ever uh, pessimistic predictions, I think Lyndon Dykes will also go. Um, I think Livingston have shown that if anybody can replace a Lyndon Dykes for nowhere, then it's Livingston. You know, their their recruitment and their their finding of of rough, rough diamonds has been astonishing. And this goes back to. This goes back to picking out Scott Pittman from Bowness. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, there's there's barely a team in Scottish football that have dipped into the where the lower leagues or the loan market and and found players so consistently effective at what they do. I think you alluded to it there, but they've got such a well defined way of playing, and it's not long football football. It's not horrible functional bullying football, as some would have you believe. <laughs> it's it's the pitch, Alan. It's all the pitch. <laughs> The pitch makes all the passes and scores the goals. Uh, yes, absolutely. It's you know it's because they play organised, direct football, but with a nice uh, you know a nice ability uh, to score in the final third. You know they they 
Remind me a little bit of Watersmith Rangers. With no interest, they had no interest in playing football in the front two thirds of the pitch. Get it in the final third and then play football from there. That's what Livingston are like. Everybody knows their roles within that. And I think that's what makes it easier for players to come in wherever they may have come from. As long as they buy into that role, that defined role in the team, then they can get by. So who knows? They might already have Lyndon Dykes' replacement on the books. The only play, we alluded to this earlier when we were saying about uh, Hibs and they're you know, going with two up front. Livingston don't. Livingston go with one up front, largely. Um, and it's not even always an out-and-out striker. Scott Robinson's done that job a few, a few times for them. You know, they, they'll go with one up front, so they've already signed another two strikers. Um, now you're talking about diamonds, uh, <laughs> creating diamonds from the get out of the rough. Uh, Scott Robinson, who had, his career had dipped so low, he was literally in part-time football with his Fife. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. There's not a... I find it... It's very interesting. There's, there doesn't seem many clubs that use trial periods quite as um, prolifically as Livingston do. I mean, uh, Gary Holt's spoken a couple of times now about how uh, more and more players in this period of uncertainty are willing to just come in and train and try and win a deal. And the vast majority of Livingston signings have already trained for the club for the, like, the past you know, two weeks or so. They very rarely just go... Oh, this agent has, uh, has suggested you and you get good write-ups and we've seen some wide scout footage come on in. No, Gary Holt gets them in. Not the crash method. <laughs> yeah, you're, put it this way, a Raphael Grislak is not going to get through the door at Livingston. He'll, have, he'll do one training session, get <laughs> battered by Lyndon Dykes and you'll never see, what, you'll never see West Lothian again. So that's what, that's what Livingston do well. You know, they have a look at players, they invite them in. That's how Salim Kudiraser won deal. That's how Matai Poblatnik won his deal. It's how um, Fitzwater was training for a, a week or so before he actually formally signed on loan, although that was pretty much a done deal because he got rave reviews from Nicky Devlin and John Guthrie from their time at Walsall together. So, But nonetheless, uh, the, the recruitment and the way they go about the recruitment would give you the faith that if they get, say, 1.5 million for Dykes, which I think would probably be the, the, the figure they would try to land on, offer all the talk of 2 million, I think you would hope that they could then bank, say, a million of that and you know, really zero in on, on, on a bargain, unless, as I say, unless they've already done it. Maybe one of those two guys are, are ready to be the next London Dykes. Is it, uh, is it Rangers buying London Dykes, or do you think he goes elsewhere? I think he goes to England. Um, Rangers are one of these clubs that they, they might just wake up one day and decide to pay £1.5 for them. That's the, that's the, the kind of club they are, they, especially now if Defoe's you know, if Defoe's injured for any period of time and Morelos goes, Rangers need two strikers quickly. Um, we were discussing Canberra earlier. Uh, I suppose it's kind of pertinent if we're doing a Livingston and Hibs preview. Um, I pick Dykes all day long. All oh, day yeah. long. I think he's the guy that I think he's the guy you want in your dressing room. I think he's the guy that you want to potentially fill three different positions in a Stephen Gerrard team. Uh, out of push. He's definitely the guy you want in your dressing room. He's not the guy you want staying in your spare room. <laughs> behave yourself. Behave yourself. Goodness sake. But yes, he's, he's, he's quite the utility man. He's, um, he's, however, he also happens to be around about £1.25 million more expensive than Flo Canberra, so we'll yeah. see what comes from that. I just think there's enough, there's enough interest at this stage of pre-season from the English Championship 
to suggest that when we properly kick into silly season, when championship clubs properly start saying, where is that number nine that we can get for reasonably low money, who has the physicality, the pace, the age, the ability to learn that Lyndon has already shown, then I, I would be astonished if a championship club doesn't come up and put the money down. If Lyndon Dykes decided at long last, having pontificated it over it for quite a while, that he decides he's Scottish rather than Australian. Where would you put him in terms of, Would you call him up to the Scotland squad and where would you have him in terms of the ranking in terms of Scotland forwards? Oh, it's such a difficult one because, well, first of all, uh, Griffiths starts for me. Um, right. I, th- I think that's... that's uh, I mean, Griffiths has to start. I mean, the, the, guy, the guy's ability to go from being horrendously unfit to being in peak condition in 10 days. I mean, yeah. he's, got, he's got some sort of superhero type qualities going on there so we, we yeah. can't not start that yes that's a hell of a hit session that he's done in that week like I mean that is <laughs> astonishing stuff but yeah and he's just he's just the, he's got that sort of mcfadden quality about him that yeah. he just he just suits a Scotland show you know he does special things for Scotland um, and if you you want a player to do a special thing in a big match then you pick Lee Griffiths but I um, you then go down the list I I, th- I think Dykes is definitely in your squad. Um, from from times that I've sat down and watched them 90 minutes apiece, I, I would be bringing them on to try and rescue something from a game ahead of Volley Book Burnley. But it, I'm just conscious that that must be a ludicrous opinion. <laughs> I mean, it's it's, it's well to say. It's well to say, but I've watched, like, watched both you players. Feel- you feel you you feel stupid, like saying the sentence. He's a twenty million pound player that's scored some goals in English Premier League. But every time I watch him, like not only can he be poor sometimes, but he's got an ability to be like comically poor. Like he's you know every touch is a missed touch, every pass is a missed pass. Yeah, I forget for the life of me the game is very unpatriotic of me. But he came on for Scotland and and one of the kind of relatively recent internationals, albeit they would be last year now. Um, and just every touch was a missed yeah, touch. Yeah, I remember this liab- game. He was a complete liability. And uh, one thing I would say about Lyndon Dykes is, as I say, he can have a horror show technically, but he'll still be a number nine that will irritate the the opposition. So I would have him in the squad and yeah, I, I would. Was it not a game we won as well? They were not winning. It was a well, way, I think it was a away game that we won. And yeah, uh, I think we won 2-1 maybe. It was when and Christie scored a fucker. I can't remember who, can't remember who was in a bloody squad anymore. Yeah. Uh, squad group. So it was Belgium, Russia. Because I've got Cyprus. Playing. Right, no, am Cyprus. I making up Cyprus? No, Cyprus. I think it was Cyprus away. That's half, yeah. I mean, that's half the problem with this hypothetical debate is it's been so long since Scotland have played that I'm forgetting how, <laughs> who Scotland's striking. Who yeah, right, though. McBurney came out of that game because Naismith started. Oh, uh, Naismith. Of course, Naismith. I forgot all about Naismith. Oh, you can fucking forget all about him for Scotland. Did you see him last season? <laughs> I like Stephen Naismith. I think there's something about him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there needs to be something about him. However, it's a bold choice to play a player that'll have played like two games by that point. Um, in fact, <laughs> by September, he'll have played no games. So, um, yeah, I played no games. I, yeah. I think immediately Dykes would probably jump above him in the pecking order. But yeah, long story short, I would I, I would like to see him in a Scotland squad. As I say, I think he's just a... I think he's a right good functional number nine and his growth curve from where he was as a winger at Queen of the South in a short time to leading the line for Livingston would suggest that I think he's only 23 years old. So... 
the sky's the limit. I mean, he's if he can go to a, I, 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 if I was him and if I was Livingston, I'd be doing a job again and getting him down south as quickly as possible with a hearty sell-on fee. Because if he continues to progress the way he is, he only needs to score 15 goals in the English Championship and he gets a move to the English Premier League potentially for whatever, 10, 15 million pounds. So, uh, I, and Livingston don't have an owner now that would sell the sell-on clause for like <laughs> 10 grand. Yeah. They could finally make up for some of the astonishing life uh, kind of um, lost sell-on clauses. I still, I still think they're reeling from the, what was the worst deal in history? Who did they bring in to, remember they let Dave Mackay and Murray Davidson go to St. Johnston? Yes, for a combined for fee of like, like 25 grand or something. Yeah, something ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> so I think Livingston drew a good one just to make amends for that. <laughs> Um, I was going to ask you about Alan Lithgow. What's the deal with him? Uh, because he was captain last season, wasn't he? He was captain last season and yeah, he had a fairly serious injury um, and was due to undergo operation uh, prior to all this COVID fun. Um, but and uh, at which point, obviously, the hospitals became very different places and uh, procedures. Be, uh, the last time I asked, because it was a, a story I kind of followed up on, uh, I think, kind of early last month, I think, and um, he still hadn't had that operation. Um, and it will be a long road from the point where he actually does undergo that operation. So even if that's uh, occurred in the last couple of weeks and it's uh, something I can check out, then it's still a long road back. And I think there's... Uh, again, this is this is my opinion, um, rather than uh, than anything that's coming from Livingston people. But I think perhaps the club have outgrown where Alan Lithgow is, uh, his age and uh, his recent injury record. Um, even just the Livingston policy right now. You look at their squad: Marvin Bartley, uh, Keegan Jacobs aside, a lot of young players in the team. There's a lot of energy. There's a lot of physicality, and I'm. Um, I mean, again, their centre-halves, Fitzwater, young centre-half come up from England, Effie Ambrose, quality defender. He's another one that's got a fair bit of experience. John Guthrie, magnificent last season. Kieran Brown, Northern Ireland internationalist. Where does Alan Lithgow come into that team? So I think they've made a decision, certainly. I'm assuming you'd be asking, obviously, just due to the fact that he was stripped of the, of the mm-hmm. captaincy. I think they've made the decision that they need a captain that not only will be available before, say, you know, whatever it may be, December, January. But then, even at that point, does Alan Lithgow get back in your living? We'll play every week, basically. Guaranteed to play every week, which Bartley yeah. is at this point. Yeah, I mean, he'll go down as a he'll go down as a, a wonderful player for for Livingston. You know, such a huge part in a and what was at the time a, a miraculous promotion. Um, if you consider the the squad that they had at the time under David Hopkin, but I just think this is what happens. And and Gary Holtz alluded to this before, like he will look to, there's not a single position in his team that's secure. If a better player comes in, then he will replace them at the drop of a hat. And you look at someone like, you know, Livingston didn't desperately need Effie Ambrose in January, but the chance came to sign him and they did that. So I think they're constantly looking to evolve and where possible improve on positions. And I think, um, you know, not to be too cruel about it. I think the club probably have just about outgrown where Alan List was, but he would still, if you can get him fully fit, then that is a that's a good top end championship defender. Uh, you know, that's a you know he's, he could be a he could be a decent player for somebody at some point. Uh, just got three questions left. Uh, 
just going to stick it with the squad. Is there anyone else? I asked you about this for Hibs. Uh, same question, Olivia. Is there anywhere in the squad that could still do with a bit more help? I think I think they could do with a striker and a second striker. Um, because as I say, I think Dykes will go and I think you're putting a hell of a lot on the shoulders of um, a player who's in his first season in British football after spells in you know India, Hungary, all that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Slovenia and Poplatnik. Um, also, or, uh, didn't have a, that's another great time at the last two seasons. Yeah, exactly. Or you're looking at a boy that's coming up from Queen's Park and again, it's a, a, a huge, huge step. So, Or Dolly Menga. Or, or, or Dolly Menga. I'm not sure Dolly Menga's long for this world. Um, I think, He's going to uh, die. <laughs> <laughs> this, this world of Livingston. Okay. <laughs> the world of West Lothian. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, it's real there. Um, but no. So I think um, if we can assume that, that Dykes might be for the off at some point, I don't think you want to be left scrambling. So if you're, if you're scouting at that moment in time, I think, yeah. You're you're saying to yourself, where's our next, uh, where's our next striker coming from? And also, I'm really excited to see what Alan Forrest does at number ten. Like we've not kind of discussed him as a, a signing too much, oh, yeah. but he's you know he'll be coming in big expectation. Stevie Lawless double figures for assists last season. You know that's a that's a player who'll be tough to replace. But uh, Alan Forrest numbers have stacked up over the years. Uh, Air can play kind of anywhere across the, the attacking strata of, of, of midfield so I'm excited to see how he does because it's a player who you can just imagine him buzzing about behind Lyndon Dykes feeding off scraps running at people however having said all that uh, it's not you know maybe second strikers not naturally where you would see him um, and for those occasions where you need an extra body up front I just think whether it's as a number nine or whether it's that as a second striker I just think you could do with a little bit more oomph um, there. Um, beyond that, um, perhaps the wing-back positions. If he's going to go with wing-backs, then that's hefty uh, workload that's been put on those positions. I really like Nicky Devlin. Good, good player. But spent a whole lot of last season out injured. Um, I like Aaron Taylor Sinclair as well. But again, really, really... Um, uh, demanding position I think what Gary's done previously is basically just if he's got wingers on his books he'll shunt them out there um, so perhaps depth and I think Kieran Brown could probably shunt over and play left wing back but in terms of that right wing back position Steve Lawless uh, sorry, Steve Lawson I should say he's out injured just at the moment and I think he broke his foot recently and will miss the start of the season so without that your only choice at right wing back is basically Nicky Devlin so I'd like to see a wee bit of more depth across there but generally beyond that I would have to say if you're going to say a, a club's recruitment that I've been impressed with I would I would put um, I would put Livingston right up there I look at their starting 11 and I think you know they can get a good starting 11 out of that and then you go guys that are providing depth like Scott, Robin, Scott Robinson Keegan Jacobs Steve Lawson when he's fit again it's, it's a decent squad there and it's got it's got decent depth I certainly as we alluded to earlier you know the but a top half finish and I don't see any reason why they would go backwards so uh, it's it's a really exciting season ahead for Livingston potentially 
I made a joke about earlier talking about the the pitch. What is your uh, what is your take on on the kind of criticism of Levy's pitch and the quote unquote advantage it gives them because of their, their such great home record over the last couple of years? People always say, "Ah, oh, well, it's because of the because of the artificial surface." Well, I mean, like most things, there's a, a middle ground to it. Does it give them an advantage? Yes, they train on it every single day. Uh, don't be you know it'd be preposterous to suggest that. It doesn't give them an advantage. It could be a grass pitch and they would still have an advantage if they trained on it every single day. There comes a, a familiarity. You learn every bounce. You, it's, however, it's the notion that that's where all their um, success comes from that is preposterous. Were, were Hamilton kicking about the top half last season? You know, Kamarnock, you know, from spent much of the season struggling, it's, you know these are these are similar advantages to what Livingston have. Um, again, we talk about optics and kind of narrative sticking. And the narrative has stuck ever since that pitch was first laid, and they used the black pellets as opposed to the green pellets. Fun fact: cost like twenty grand more to get the green pellets than the black pellets. <laughs> uh, fundamentally, fundamentally, they're, they're the same thing, but it's just a, it's a visual thing. And yeah. you know what? Hindsight, maybe they wish they'd paid that twenty grand because you saw the black pellets bounce, and everyone went lol. Huh? Despite the fact everybody knows or, or subsequently learned, it takes these pitches a while to settle. You need a few games on them. You need a few bounces in all the areas. The pellets will eventually settle. And see if you were to take a game now in isolation, it wouldn't look as bad as those early games did. But now everyone's set in stone. It's a bad. It's not a bad four G. It's a. It's a. It's a better four G than a lot that were played on. Um, is it as good as a grass pitch? Absolutely not. But it's. It's not what gives them all of their advantage. It gives them an advantage, but not any more than Hamilton have. Not any more than Kilmarnock have. It's. It's the reality. And listen, you've been in enough press conferences to know how much everyone loves an excuse. You lose to Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, you lose to Livingston. There's your excuse. It's that's why it's talked about so often because it's a it's a ready made post match excuse on a silver platter. So who's not going to gobble it up? It's you know, it's an advantage. It's not the advantage. The advantage Livingston's have is smart recruitment, a good way to play and an astonishingly good uh, dressing room uh, rapport. Finally You've kind of touched on this already, but I'll press you for a prediction. Where are Livingston finishing this season? Uh, sixth. Let's go sixth. But let's be honest, sort of fourth, fifth and sixth is very hard to predict. You know, that could be, I would say of both the teams we've discussed today, I think they'll both be between fourth and sixth. Um, where they come where they come in there, uh, you know, who knows. But I think the target for both clubs, although anyone at Livingston would, uh, you know, scoff if you were to dare suggest that anyone there would say it. Is, I think that the, their aim should be top six. I think they've got a good enough squad. Um, Hibs, there's a different pressure. I think, as you say, there's a pressure for them not to only be in the top six, but be competitive against top six teams. Um, so I think both, both clubs will finish round about the same area, but it will be interesting to see whether both clubs consider their campaigns to be a success, depending on where they do finish within that top six. Okay, that's a pretty good answer to finish us on. And uh, yeah, wow, that was a long podcast. An hour and ten minutes, I think, we've run for there, going through those two teams. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's awful. I've got a wife downstairs that's waiting for me to make dinner, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, I need to... Uh, 
I need, to clean, I need to still need to go to the shops. It's like quarter past seven at night, uh, and uh, clean uh, the cat boxes as well. So I've got I've got stuff to do as well. So let's let's just end this now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, pleasure as always, though pleasure as always. Yes, good talking to you, and thank you to everybody for listening. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh oh oh, O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.